From WSE FM and HD1 Columbia, I'm Ward Jollis, and this is Headline. Coming up on this week's episode, we're going to be breaking down two big developments at USC regarding coronavirus. First, the recent ICE ruling that has left international students in a state of limbo. What the ruling could mean for those studying in the U.S. who are taking online classes. Could USC's international students face deportation? Also, more on the university's reopening plan. Is it feasible? Also, what will USC look like in the fall if case numbers don't start going down? WSC international correspondent Aaron Slowey joins us later in the show to break it all down. All that to come after the day's headlines. Live from WUSC News, I'm Ward Jollis. University of South Carolina officials continue to discuss plans for reopening this fall, but with coronavirus cases spiking in the Palmetto State, many are questioning whether the current plan for reopening is feasible. President Bob Castlin has held multiple town halls over the past few weeks as case numbers skyrocket, and he and other university officials have already begun discussing big changes to the fall semester. WSC's Aaron Slowey reports. President Bob Castlin and university administrators held a town hall earlier this week to discuss the updates on face coverings, football, and curfews. Face coverings will be required in all campus buildings, not just the Russell House, libraries, and classrooms. Testing will also no longer be required for students because of First Amendment rights. This comes after Castlin sent an email to students on June 24th stating that they would be required. The university has started to administer saliva tests that began on July 9th. This allows for results to be received between 3 and 24 hours. The university does not currently have the capacity to administer the 40,000 saliva tests in a 10-day period when students return in the fall. But Castlin said he is looking to see if the pharmacy school has the ability to upscale to meet this need. There has not been a decision yet regarding the football season, but Castlin does not expect williams Bryce to be full to its 80,000 capacity. Conversations have also begun with Columbia Mayor Steve Benjamin about a 10 p.m. curfew in Five Points and an ordinance to promote social distancing in bars and restaurants. According to Castlin, Benjamin is considering the curfew. Aaron Slowey, WSC News. Students from all across the country were shocked Monday night after U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, a.k.a. ICE, released a statement saying that all students attending universities that have completely moved online must return back to their home countries or risk deportation. While USC is still planning on having in-person classes, many students worry that if coronavirus cases continue to rise, things might change and they could be forced home. WSC political correspondent Sarah Hudak-Jeffrey reports. On Monday, United States Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, released new regulations that state that foreign students attending U.S. colleges cannot remain in the country if their college is going entirely online in the fall semester. According to an economic analysis by NAFSA, Association of International Educators, international students studying at U.S. colleges and universities brought in $41 billion to the U.S. economy and supported 458,000 290 jobs in the 2018 to 2019 academic year. In an email to the university, President Bob Caslin states that, quote, this directive will have little impact, if any, on U of SC students taking in-person classes. While some classes this fall will be virtual, the University of South Carolina remains committed to providing the majority of its courses through in-person classroom instruction. 
Additionally, Kaslan states that government affairs staff will have a virtual meeting with Lindsey Graham soon and are seeking clarification from the Department of Homeland Security and other government agencies on the directive. That was WSC Sarah Hudock-Jeffrey reporting. Despite skyrocketing coronavirus cases in South Carolina this week, Governor Henry McMaster continues to insist that a statewide mask ring ordinance is unnecessary to prevent the spread and instead today issued an executive order banning all restaurants and bars from selling alcohol past 11 p.m. That ordinance starts tomorrow. On Wednesday, the New York Times released a new study showing the state with the third highest rate of increase in coronavirus cases in the world. As WSC's Finn Carlin reports, officials at DHEC are worried following a busy 4th of July weekend. This past week has been devastating for the Southeast in terms of coronavirus cases. According to the New York Times, South Carolina is ranked third on the list of states and countries around the world for the highest upticks in positive cases over the last seven days, closely trailing Florida with 2.3 thousand new cases of COVID-19. Even more recently, SEDHEC reported yesterday that positive cases increased by 1,723, with 22 of those being new deaths, bringing the total number of confirmed cases in the state to 50,548. This update follows a very different 4th of July holiday, with confirmed case numbers rising following statewide festivals and celebrations. Such an increase has prompted more counties to order masks be worn in public, with roughly one in three South Carolinians covered by new mask ordinances as reported by the Post and Courier. However, the rise in COVID-19 cases is not totally due to the spreading of the virus, but is also relative to the increased numbers in testing statewide, according to SCDHEC. Since the beginning of the month, the amount of daily testing has increased by over 600, and the projections made by SCDHEC report those numbers only going up by the day. Finn Carlin, WSC News, Charleston. Democrats across the state out-fundraised many of their Republican rivals in the second quarter as candidates gear up for the November election. As WSC political correspondent Stephanie Justice reports, big names like Joe Wilson and Lindsey Graham are just two Republicans that could struggle to hold on to their seats in the upcoming election. In South Carolina, the Democratic Party might finally be able to see the beginning of the blue wave that they've been hoping for, as Democratic congressional candidates raked in huge fundraising halls in the second quarter. Senate hopeful Jamie Harrison, who plans to unseat incumbent Republican Lindsey Graham, brought in $13.9 million, a record for the state. And Adair Ford Burroughs, who is running a grassroots candidacy against incumbent Representative Joe Wilson in the 2nd District, had the best fundraising quarter of her campaign so far. Democrats in the solid red Palmetto State hope that more money will translate into more votes in November, but they will have to wait in anticipation for four more months to find out. Stephanie Justice, WUSC News. The Dow Jones is up 295 points right now. The Nasdaq is up nearly 40 points, and the S&P 500 is also up 25 points. It's currently 93 degrees outside, partly cloudy, with a low of 75 tonight. The high for tomorrow is 96 degrees, with a low of 73. I'm War Jealous, and you're listening to WUSC News. It's 307. Come on, buddy. Hey, neighbor, it's been a while. Oh, hi, Jenny. How are you guys doing? You know, staying home, staying safe. Staying apart can be hard, but we can still reach out. Columbia has many unmet needs, and Mutual Aid Midlands is stepping in. From delivering groceries to internet access to books for kids, they're people like us, pooling resources and finding solutions. If you want to help your neighbors and donate your time or special skill, join them. Find Mutual Aid Midlands on Facebook or call their hotline.
Thinking about grabbing a bite at your favorite lunch spot? It may be getting easier for you, but for many residents in Richland County, that's not a choice on their menu. Meals on Wheels serves people who can't access food, and COVID-19 has doubled demand. You can help by driving or packing food. Find out how to safely serve at MealsOnWheelsAmerica.org. Hashtag I Pledge Columbia. Hello, Meals on Wheels. You're listening to Headline from WSC News. I'm Ward Jollis. Late Monday night, without any warning, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, better known as ICE, made a terrifying announcement for many international students in the United States. The ruling from ICE says that all foreign students studying at universities in the United States that have switched to online learning must leave the country or risk deportation. While USC plans on having in-person classes this fall, university officials have stated multiple times that that could change if the coronavirus outbreak gets out of control. And if this does happen, USC students from other countries will be forced to either return home or transfer to a school with in-person instruction. It's a slap in the face for many international students like senior Bobby Desai, treasurer of the International Student Association at USC. Bobby comes from India. And for her, USC is the only college she's ever known. And Bobby Desai joins us now. Bobby, thank you, thank you so much for talking to me today about this experience that you're going through right now. I can't imagine how hard it must be um, and how confusing this must be for uh, an international student like you. So but before we really get into this interview a little bit, I just want to tell me about your experience as an international student and you know what this ruling could mean for you. Um, so I think before I start, I think it takes a lot for international students to come here and then put of effort to settle in here. And then like right now during a pandemic, like we can't even go home during em- emergencies. It's just so uncertain for us. And like education is the only thing that has remained constant for us. And that's the only thing that at least I am here for. And that's something that like I'm doing right now and I feel like they're taking that away from me mainly because if I'm sent back to my country it's just really hard to focus and like it just changes the entire experience like I'm paying so much money that's not not just for the education it's for the experience and everything else and it just changes changes a lot of things and I think it's really unfair for us. Um, and, and so, Bobby, when you heard this news, uh, what, what was your initial reaction like? Um, yeah, so I was, firstly, I was terrified, and I think it also put a lot of stress because everything is so uncertain, and I was just, like, confused, and I had to figure out so many things if I have to go back, and I don't know if I have to. So, like, I started thinking about, like, what's going to happen if, and if I do have to go back, like, how am I going to figure things out? Because there are travel restrictions. There are very limited flights that are going to India right now. There are about 36 till 19th July, and I don't know anything that's ha- going to happen after that. And then I have to figure out stuff about my apartment, my lease, and, like, so many other things. 
like i think my first reaction like i was terrified and i was stressed well i mean i didn't even think about you know apartments and leases and things like that, that you'd yeah. have to go through so that's that's another level of this that you know people probably aren't even thinking about i mean you know yeah. obviously with the pandemic things were kind of up in the air I mean, were you expecting this at all i know there were already i know there were already some restrictions on visas right about online classes yeah uh, what did you think that you know did you think the school would be more lenient or what was the where'd the surprise come from here yeah i think i would i thought the schools would be more lenient and i would get to stay here if i wanted to even if i'm doing online classes and that was always my plan i planned on staying here and still take online classes because if i because if i do in person like that puts like i'm putting myself into risk and that's something that i didn't want to do so i definitely thought that the schools would be understanding and this is this came out of nowhere like this is something that i think no one expected yeah. So, so I mean, we're still in person right now for the fall. Or we're still planning on being in person. Uh, are you worried at all that maybe that the school will backtrack on that and go fully online? And, you know, if that happens, do you have any plans? Yes, I think I'm really worried about that because the cases are getting worse here as well. And I think I don't have much of an option because I'm a senior right now and this is my last year. So transferring somewhere else is just not one of my options so the only thing i could do is go back which is also like i don't want to but like i am left with no other options at this point yeah yeah and so if we do go fully online uh you, you say that you think that you would just do online instruction at usc but from you know india or w what would your plan be then yeah i think i would have to do online instructions from india if they like do like if they tell me that you have to go back like i wouldn't be left with much options do you know of any other students that might be be in the same situation that are also very surprised i mean how are other students handling this or i mean are there people in very similar situations think, to you yes i think so my roommate is international as well she's from india as well and i think she's terrified as well like i think it's it's stressful for everyone and I also have a couple of other friends going to different universities here that are international students and it's just stressful for everything because it's so uncertain and we just don't know what's going to happen next and I think yeah like it's just terrifying that we would just be sent out and we're not even given enough time like if the school goes online we have to like leave in 10 days or something and that's not enough time yeah yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, I mean, well, the university put out a statement recently uh, about the situation saying that you must enroll in as many face-to-face -face courses as possible um, and enroll in the minimum amount of online courses required to make normal progress in your degree. What do you think about this statement and what it has to say about the university's decision regarding uh, this ruling by ICE? I mean, do you feel disrespected at all? I, I don't... I don't know how the university can ask people to take as many face-to-face -face courses as possible. Yeah, I think it's it's not fair and I think I feel like they don't really care about the health and well-being of the international students because a lot of people will have to do in-person classes if they're offered because not everyone can just like go back like it's we have to consider a lot of other things and it's it's also really expensive. So yeah, definitely like it would be really difficult and yeah. 
I just I can't even imagine what you're going through. And you said it was going to be very expensive too. I mean, they're they're not helping at all in any way financially either. No, they're not. Not really. Not right now. And like we wouldn't know about the fight flights either. So yeah. Nothing right now. That is just an absolutely crazy situation that I'm really sorry that you were suddenly put in. Um, and, we'll, you know, unfortunately, we'll just have to see where this, this goes. Uh, Bobby, thank you so much for uh, joining me today and talking to me. Of course. Thank you so much. Also here to talk with me on this decision by ICE is Associate Professor in Political Science and Department Vice Chair for Political Science, Catherine Barbieri. She's published numerous books and articles about international relations and the international political economy. Now, Professor Barbieri, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. All right. So, so Professor, break this, this new ruling down for me a little bit. Where did this come from and what does it mean for international students right now? Essentially, the decision is that students who are here on visas to study at U.S. institutions, whether for high school or college, are now restricted from going to programs that are 100% online. Um, they have to be meeting in person. So USC is safe in that respect. So USC has announced it's going to be returning to classes. And it may be the case that students are taking courses online. But because we're opening, we can adapt to having foreign students here. What I'm saying is the ICE decision says that if all of the classes are being held online, they can't stay in the US. Um, yeah. So only those schools that have announced that they're going online completely will be affected, really. Yeah. Okay. So, so where does this move come from, though? I mean, do you think that this is political in nature, or do you think this is really about protecting people from coronavirus? Well, I think the reaction is political. So, by that I mean those who are opposed to anything Trump does and his administration does is going to react in a way that it's suggesting ICE is going to round up students and throw them out of the country. I don't see that happening. Why, why do you um, say that? Why do you think that you don't see that happening? If, I mean, just today, for example, uh, you know, the, it was revealed that South Carolina is the number three hotspot in the world for coronavirus right now. And a lot of people are saying, you know, it could potentially affect the fall semester, but classes oh, might have to go online. That, that will, will affect the fall semester in terms of foreign students. They have parents who are going to say to them, what the heck are you doing in a, in a state or a country that where you can get sick? And so that isn't, while it looks like it's driven by U.S., I mean, politically, I'm saying, if you're critical of the current administration, you would say ICE is rounding people up and throwing them out, when in fact it's going to be people overseas, their parents are going to say, I don't want you staying in the country, okay. come home. I get that. So there's a difference between people wanting to leave and people having to leave. And it's the same with, if I were overseas and facing the decision to come to the US, I would be reluctant to do that or to go to South Carolina. Um, and so the restrictions that the U.S. now has, we don't have people going overseas. So most 
funding opportunities for Americans who want to do research overseas is restricted now. It's even restricted our travel within the U.S. Most federal and state agencies, if you're a government employee, as USC faculty are, we're state employees, we have restrictions on our travel. Any kind of research funding now has restrictions. Most businesses in the U.S. have restrictions on travel, whether domestic or international. So that suggests that it's not so unusual to say, if foreign students are here, if they're not going to be in classes, they don't have to be here. But so, what do you think will happen? That, what do you think will happen if if we do go all online uh, in the fall, and you know they are forced with this decision? If we go online in the fall, I don't think there's much chance USC will go completely online as an institution. So if students are here, what I think is that faculty and the administration will find creative ways to work with foreign students and even current students, American students who are here. So I think, and that's an important thing to do. It's pushing, so these administrative decisions the reaction is very political, I think. It's not saying, well, why are they doing this? So I guess I, I, I think there's being a lot made out of this decision, a lot more than is maybe warranted. So I'm not yeah, saying we shouldn't I, I get that, but what do you have to say about the, I mean, there's international students out there that have leases in the fall and you know right, they're having to pay right. for their own well, travel back home, um, also pay tuition for online classes, which a lot of people say, you know, isn't as productive. What does the economic impact look like here? Let's shift gears a second. Well, again, the, the economic impact is in the short term, I'm assuming this is something that's short term. And so as a foreign student, I would want to be in the U.S. at a time that's I'm going to be able to take advantage of all the opportunities. To me, we have to look at this pandemic in a larger way. And when you say economic implications, to me, it's about trade and other kind of linkages that we have in the world. If we're restricting travel and if we're restricting international experiences, the key people who are gonna encourage those things are the people who have studied abroad. Any kind of decision, no matter who makes it, is being politicized. Um, even drugs right now are being politicized. That is, if you don't like Trump, you might say, well, that, that drug doesn't work, right? If you support yeah. Trump, you think a particular medication is gonna work. And that to me seems crazy, right? We're supposed to be using science to evaluate whether something works or doesn't work. And each side, the Democrats or Republicans, see every decision that's made from what you consume um, to wearing a mask, for example, that that's a yeah. political decision. Yeah, okay, I get so that. I get what you're saying. decisions are politicized. Yeah, I get what you're saying about everything being politicized and everything. But I mean, what do you have to say to the people who are looking beyond politics here? I mean, for example, the international students that are scared and they are unsure about what their future looks like, especially the ones that have been here for, you know, three plus years. Our student body president is he Russian, is an international student, and she has openly, you know, been vocal about this, about being terrified about the decision. Uh, what do you have to say to these international students that are just scared right now? Um, 
you know, you're saying that you're saying that this yeah, isn't necessarily a political what decision. What are they scared about? Can you can you tell me what they're scared about? They're they're Everybody's afraid. Gonna... They're seeing the numbers go up every day in South Carolina, and they're worried that university officials have said that if things get too bad, that they're open to making changes to the fall schedule um, and possibly even going back online. A lot of these international students hear this decision, and they're scared that in the middle of their fall semester, they could be sent home or deported. What do you have to say to those students? Yeah, that's, I, I say that's never going to happen. Really, that's not going to happen. Um, I would, if I were a foreign student or any other student in South Carolina now, I would be concerned about the numbers, right? That's what I'm saying to you. If I were a parent in New York looking at sending my kids to South Carolina, I might say, hey, it's not really safe. President Castlin isn't going to have, I, you know, isn't going to allow ICE to come on and round up students. So it's just, I would say their concern. Yeah, that that's not going to happen. All right. It's, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for this, this discussion. I want to, I want to end there because we're running out of time, but um, okay. thanks so much for this discussion. It's a very complex issue, very new, and you yeah, provided lots of insight. I was going to say that any of these could be a side issue. I just was unaware that, that foreign students are really concerned they're going to be pushed into the class. That's just not going to happen. No faculty is going to push yeah. them there if it's unsafe for them to be there. Yeah. All right. Well, Professor Barbieri, thank you so much for okay. talking to me about okay. this decision. Thank you. Okay, yeah. bye. Very interesting take on that situation from Professor Barbie Airy in the USC Political Science Department. She says she doesn't think the decision by ICE was political at all. What do you think? Let us know. Give us a call at 803-576-9872. That is 803-576-WUSE. We'll be right back. Glad to be back in Columbia, seeing friends, heading back to class. Unlike other colleges and universities, we get to come back. But keeping it that way means keeping your distance. The CDC says staying six feet apart is the easiest way to slow the spread of COVID-19. So stay back, stay healthy, and lead the way. Because nobody wants to go back to Zoom you. We all know a good party gets the heart pumping, a chance to see your friends again, have a good time. But what happens when your good time puts someone else at risk? Healthcare workers risk their own lives to save ours. Since April 9th, more than 9,000 have tested positive for COVID-19 across America. The choice is yours, Gamecocks. Will it be another Monday night out or a movie night in? Stay in and help stop the worst from happening. Hashtag I Pledge Columbia. You're listening to Headline from WSC News. I'm Ward Jollis. Coronavirus cases continue to spike in South Carolina, and health experts are saying that the recent Fourth of July weekend is only going to make things worse. USC still plans to have in-person instruction in the fall, but under very strict guidelines. And officials have said that things could easily change depending on the state of the outbreak. 
With me today to discuss the details of the university's reopening plan is USC internal affairs correspondent and editor-in-chief of the Daily Gamecock, Aaron Slowey. Aaron, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ward. So, Aaron, tell me a little bit about the current plan from university administration for reopening. Has the original plan for return changed at all in the past few weeks? I, I know they I know they unveiled this really big, comprehensive plan. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so they recently released the risk mitigation plan. So it's not too different from what we've seen before. Right now, classes will still be in a hybrid model and faculty, staff, and some administrators will be phased in over the summer. It's still end, ending classes at in-person classes at Thanksgiving break with a couple of reading days afterwards and finals online after that as well. And there's also no fall break. So none of that has changed. What kind of has changed though is the policy about face coverings. So right now, before it was face coverings were only going to be required in places like the Russell House and the Thomas Cooper Library, but now they're going to be required in all campus buildings. Yeah. And so, yeah, so, yeah. So, so you mentioned the thing about wearing masks and everything and the face coverings. So they're required in all buildings now. But my question is, is how is the university going to regulate that everyone wears a mask when there are over 40,000 students on our campus? I mean, what's the deal with that? So it's going to be hard. I can tell you that from based off the interviews that I've been doing, it sounds like they are going to be regulating outside all of the buildings, at least for Russell House, Thomas Cooper Library, and places like that. Inside the classrooms, from when I talked with Sandra Kelly, she said the professors are going to be have to be the ones to regulate it inside the classroom. And if a student refuses to wear a face covering in the classroom, the professor can report them to student conduct. So we don't know what those what the results of that would be and what the punishments would necessarily be or if there would be a fine. We're not sure yet, but that's just what they wrote in the risk mitigation plan. Uh, Okay, so so not only face coverings, but I, I understand there's also this whole issue with testing, too, is another thing that I'm kind of questioning. Uh, so it's been a big part of the reopening plan that was released by the university. Um, and in the actual plan, uh, it states that the university expects all students, faculty, and staff to get tested before their return to campus. I mean, what are they asking here? Is it feasible, do you think, for the university to expect that? I mean, I mean that's a lot of tests to run in a short period of time. Yeah, well, first I wanted to point out what's interesting about that is that the verbiage keeps changing. So I know you are also a student. We got an email saying that testing is required from President Kaslin, but then in the town hall um, earlier this week, he said that they cannot require it because of the First Amendment. So I think that is a very important thing to note, that it, it will not be required. I'm sure they would love for everyone to be tested, but that's simply not going to be the case. What's also very interesting about this is that it goes against DHEC policies and DHEC recommendations. DHEC said that you really should only be getting tested if you are having symptoms. And this was something that President Castlin talked about in his town hall. He said that they are estimating between 1.5% to 5% of students to test positive as asymptomatic carrier. So I think that's really important to note, too, when talking about testing for the fall semester. Uh, okay, yeah, definitely, definitely very, very interesting situation with the with the verbiage like you brought up. So, so university officials have said that, you know, if, if things get too bad, that changes might be made again to the academic calendar. We're already set to end in-person instruction just before Thanksgiving. 
with the recent coronavirus spikes in South Carolina, has there any has has there been any talk in the administration about possibly reverting back to online instruction? So there have been a lot of questions that you can hear in the town hall and that they are addressing it regarding about regarding the fall semester. So basically what President Castlin has said is that they are prepared to go online if that is the case, but Obviously, they do not want that to happen. They're doing all this preparation for students to return. So we'll see what ends up happening um, with the fall semester with that. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, with all of this, um, all of this recent discussion about the ICE regulation and everything, that's, that's also just another factor that's thrown in there. I, I know graduation is another event that's been shifted around a lot uh, and changed because of the outbreak and social distancing guidelines. What's the current situation with that? Do you know anything? Yes. So the current situation is that there is going to be an in-person ceremony in Williams-Brice on August 8th. And this is going to be for both spring graduates and also summer graduates as well. So they were given, they released a survey to the graduates to see if there would be interest. And it seems like there was enough for them to host a ceremony. So there will be a ceremony on August 8th. Oh, okay, so there is an in-person ceremony right now. As of right now, it's been shifted, canceled a lot. Um, we'll see what end up, ends up happening with that. I understand a lot of other events too, though, uh, with lots of people have been shifted around as well for the fall semester. Uh, you know, for example, the org fair is one of them. Club meetings, uh, they're definitely going to have to regulate uh, dining, for example, in Russell House. Uh, what's the current stance from the university on regulating that? So the biggest thing that they've been telling at least student leaders is that there are no meetings above 50 people. Something that they've been encouraging to me and my org and to other student leaders is that if you can have your meetings virtually, you should. Whether that will be the case in the fall, I'm not sure, but that's definitely the biggest thing that they're advocating for is no meetings greater than 50 people. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And then last thing, you know, football season is another thing that a lot of people are worrying about right now. Uh, Any words on plans for football season? Yeah, so it's really interesting. Actually, earlier today, they announced, the Big Ten just announced that schools, that their schools will only play teams within their conference. So the SEC has not made a statement about this yet. But if it's interesting, if that's the case, it'll be almost over 112 years since the University of South Carolina has not played Clemson in their season. So that's something to keep out, keep an eye on. But again, Castlin has not made a statement yet about what it will be for the Gamecocks in the fall. But he also said that he does not expect the stadium to fill the 80,000 capacity. Okay, yeah. So, so I'm hearing that we're still in the dark on a lot of these issues, um, we'll just have to wait around and see, I guess, what ends up happening. Aaron Slowey, thank you, as always, for joining me. Yeah, thank you, Ward. Well, that's all for this week's episode of Headline. Make sure to tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. for the week's biggest stories. The music for Headline is called Conversation by Broken Summer. Headline is a production by WSC News and is part of the Garnet Media Group Podcast Network. Garnet Media Group is a partnership between the student-run media outlets at the University of South Carolina. You can find other Garnet Media Group podcasts and student work on garnetmediagroup.org. From WSC News in Columbia, I'm Ward Jollis, and this is Headline.